All right, welcome back. You're listening to Behind in the Count. I'm your host, Lincoln. Happy Friday. You guys made it, unless you guys have to work this weekend. Um, we got some baseball talk. So we're going to do some new segments today. So we're going to start off with three up and three down, just like we did on Tuesday, where I do the boomer voice, if you guys don't know what I was doing <laughs> before. Um, we're going to talk some Yelly. Is Yelly back? We're going to talk some baseball gods. We're going to talk some run differentials. We're going to get dorky. Then we're going to talk some times are changing. Bob Dylan. We got Woody and Burns pitching two gems back-to-back together. What? We got some Keston Hira talk. And then we're going to talk some big news from around the league. Maggie's approaching his 3,000th hit. Um, if you're listening to this now, he may have already done that. I don't know. Um, we're going to talk some game speed and pitch clock in the minors. And we're going to talk about that guy who, who licks the baseball when he was on the rubber. A criminal offense, apparently. All that coming up and more. You're listening to Behind in the Count. Let's go. We head to Milwaukee where the Pittsburgh Pirates storm the shores of southeastern Wisconsin. Corbin Ken Burns pitched a documentary award-winning performance and had pirates everywhere saying, Arg? The pirates' hitters cannot find X marks the spot, but instead find K marks the spot as Burns strikes out 10 in 7 innings. What? In the bottom of the second inning, Rowdy Cornfed Tolles hits a two-run blast to start the scoring off for the Brewers. Colton King Kong Wong scores two more on an RBI double. And we head to the sixth inning where Big Dan Free comes back home from college for the first time and showed his old friend some new tricks as he rifles a dinger off the scoreboard. In the seventh inning, Hunter Renfro, wide receiver, Clemson University, Hits his first blast of the season to give the Brewers a 5-2 lead. In the ninth, Colton King Kong Wong does his best Derek Jeter jump throw impersonation as he makes a spectacular play to throw out Where Are My Keys, Brian Hayes. Final score, Milwaukee 5. Pirates 2. Some spread. Whoop! And we head back to the 4-4 four four as the Brewers seek to do the Pirates a favor by helping them sweep their own deck. In the top of the second inning, Yoshi Pajuto Cheeks hits a fly ball on a line drive to Hunter Renfro, wide receiver, Clemson University, and makes a spectacular play. In the bottom of the inning, Rowdy grass-fed beef to Lutz must have finished his plate and asked for seconds as the corn-fed high-octane first baseman blasts his third dinger of the season. On the hill for the Brewers, Brandon 420 blazing Woodstock Woodruff pitches dominantly, making Pirates hitters look like they started their 420 celebration early as he makes nine Pirates batters walk the plank in six innings. In the seventh inning, K 
Custin, I can't grow any facial hair, Hira. Gives the brewers some insurance, courtesy of David Gruber in law offices. One call, that's all. As he showed the pirates his peach fuzz. As he hits a big boy blast to deep right field, giving the, the brewers a four-run cushion. Brent's Velociraptor suitor tried his best to pitch, but ends up clocking out of work early as he gives up two runs. Josh Turner, hater, had Pirates hitters, why don't we just dancing at his pitches as he shows them the long block train as he strikes out two hitters and earns his sixth save of the season. Final score, Pittsburgh 2, Milwaukee 4. Alright, and that's a wrap for three up and three down. Um... Brewers are undefeated since I last recorded, so maybe maybe I've got some luck on my side um, with this podcast. But um, Brewers sweep the Pirates pretty much what you would have expected. I think if the Pirates would have maybe taken one game in this series, I still would have been okay. But if you lose this series to the Pirates and you know already kind of having a slower, lethargic start, I think there would have been a lot more red flags and there would have been a lot of fans calling for um, whatever the hitting coaches had maybe. But um, Brewers, hang on and survive. Survive in advance. We defeat the worst team in the league, so that's a good thing. Um, Just a disclaimer here. This is my third podcast, and this is the third different location I've recorded. So the first podcast was recorded in my Subaru Legacy 2013 edition, sport edition, may I add in a church parking lot pretty late at night. So if you haven't listened to that one, I don't recommend it. It's not very good, but you can if you want to. My last podcast um, recorded it in uh, a big classroom with uh, pretty good acoustics. So I'm sure it sounded pretty good. Now today, I always work Thursday afternoons at the group home. So I'm here recording with uh, Mr. Kevin behind me. Kevin's causing all sorts of trouble, so I gotta keep one eye on my computer monitor and one eye on him. But if you hear anyone moving around in the background, that's what's going on, or or maybe some WWE as well. But uh, yeah, let's talk some baseball. Okay, so um, I had a pretty busy week this week. Not gonna lie. So Monday Monday night, I was recording the podcast. I had class till late. I missed the Brewer game. Okay, Tuesday night. I have puppy training classes starting at 7.30, and, and man, it, it's a headache for, for one, and there's dog piss everywhere and dogs barking, but I missed most of the game. I, I came home, I think I saw Renfro's blast in the 7th, but I uh, missed mo- much of that game, and yesterday I had an afternoon class for two hours, and I only saw about two innings of that game, but uh, thanks for this podcast, and most of my roommates probably watched more baseball than me this week, so I probably should have them talking instead of me right now. But um, got some big news. So Yelly, this happened on Monday night, but I, I didn't really touch on it a lot because I just kind of looked at the box score and and what have you. But he hit a grand slam. It's first home run of the season. It's his first dinger in 24 games. It's a long time for a guy who's – uh, supposed to be a prolific power hitter in the game. And, uh, yeah, Yelly's used to be a power guy. Um, I remember there was a lot of talk about him maybe doing the home run derby in 2019. Um, 
but he's got power to all fields. He finally displayed it as he blasted a Grand Slam against the Pirates. And uh, this is really good news for the Brewers because I think if Yelly could even just bat, you know, 270, but if he hits for some power, I mean, this is a totally different offense. And this is what Yelich had to say after the game about his big blast. He said, you want to get rid of those zeros as fast as you can, Yelich said. And especially at Miller Park, if you're a struggling hitter, they got that massive batter's eye right above it is the massive scoreboard. And for players to see, you know, not a lot of numbers stacking up their box on their big display on the scoreboard, especially for a guy like Yelich, it's got to gotta take a bite into his ego a little bit, I would assume, at least if I was up there. Um, again, Yelich says, he continues, he said, it's out of your control, but it's very nice to, to uh, get one first, especially like that. So he's talking about his home run. He said, it's out of your control. Home runs are out of your control? Really? Um, so I feel like baseball is one of the only sports where where guys are very, very superstitious. And, and I'm even super superstitious as a, as a softball player. You know, I, I leave my gloves in the same spot, but I know a lot of baseball players, when they're on a hot streak, they might sleep with their baseball bat, like in bed. They might just bring their baseball bat everywhere they go, take it on a good date, uh, pay for a good meal, you know, things like that. But baseball players are very superstitious. And this leads me to one of my main points. The baseball gods. Don't blame Yelly. Blame the baseball gods. That's pretty much what he just said. It's out of your control. You know, you paid me to be an MVP player. But it's out of my control. The gods will do what the gods want to do. And I feel like baseball is one of the only sports that have these these deities, these gods. Are, Are there football gods? I mean, I watch as much football as I do baseball during Packers season. But I, I, you don't hear announcers or, or players saying that it's really out of their control. You know, if, if they have a bad, if Aaron Rodgers has a bad game, he's not going to say it's out of his control. He's going to say, oh, I got to, we'll hit the, we'll hit the weight room. We'll, we'll lift some weights. We'll go to practice and it'll all work out. R-E-L-A-X, right? But they hold accountability here. I mean, no one's talking about this, but he's saying it's out of his control. And who are these baseball gods? Who are they? So I found this on the internet. This is what um, somebody described the baseball gods as. They are unseen deities who influence the fortunes of ball clubs and their players. Okay? So sounds pretty spooky, right? Further, they say, it is a pathion that brings about in late game rallies fielding misfortunes and playoff runs. Okay, so these baseball gods, these are deities you want um, to have a good relationship. You want to be on their good side. What did Yelich do to get on their bad side, you know? Did he not hold the door for them? Did he leave them like a 15% tip at a restaurant when the waitress was being really good? Was he on a date and he didn't get any appetizers? Or, hear me out, this is the worst one. Or, did Christian Yelich not give the Wisconsin nod when he was walking past someone on his way into Miller Park? Those are the four big things I could see Christian Yelich doing. The only four things. He's a nice guy. Christian Yelich, nice guy. Uh, But to get 
in such bad reigns with the baseball gods. He's been terrible the last two seasons. But try to think of another instance from another sport where an MVP type of player um, pretty much says that something is out of his control, even when it's, it's a good thing. I mean, if I'm Christian Yelich, I'm saying, you know what, this is totally in my control. I'm just better than everybody, you know? it It's in his control. He just did it. Brag about it a little bit, right? I mean, I can't think of any other sport that has this kind of, um, you know, the unwritten rules and the baseball gods. You hear guys say that all the time, but I feel like baseball is the only major sport that has their outcomes in the hands decided by these gods. You better hold the door for them too because if you don't, you're going to bat like 200 for two more seasons. So that could be one explanation for Christian Yelich's big struggles. I just saw that in his response and I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, you guys want to hear one way that you guys could become on the baseball gods good side is to rate my podcast on Spotify if you're listening to it. Um, quickly go on and rate it if you feel if you feel obligated to do so by the baseball gods. You heard it here. Um, but I did a little bit more research on these baseball gods. Who are they, right? So I found this. This is by HS Baseball Well, the little blog I found somewhere. And this is what they had to say. They say, now, this is how it works. If you're a player, you will be rewarded by the baseball gods if you honor them. So the baseball gods are kind of like Jedis in the aspect that honor is, is a big thing for them. Big honor guys, big Jedis. Further, and if you don't, you will suffer. If you're a parent, you will bring success and happiness to your sons if you honor the baseball gods. But if you make them angry, the full brunt of your trespasses will be fallen upon your son. So the baseball gods will attack your bloodline is what it sounds like. They don't, they don't care if you're the one that did wrongdoings. They're going to attack your family too is just what it sounds like to me. So, so you guys better go out and uh, give my podcast a review here. Further, they write, if you're a coach and you honor the baseball gods, you will prosper as a coach and so will your players. If you do not honor the baseball gods, your team will suffer and so will your players. So maybe Christian Yelich's struggles, it's not even coming from him. It's an organizational thing. Someone in the front office, maybe a broadcaster, um, maybe some jackass on Twitter. Maybe they struck a, uh, a string with the baseball gods and they're taking this out on Yelich, one of the players here. If you had to pick one player in the Brewers organization who who's not on good terms with the baseball gods, who would you pick? Who would you pick? I'm trying to think. Oh, man. Pat Murphy comes to mind. He just, he like I said last episode, he always seems pissed off. He's the guy, he answers the phone. That's pretty much his biggest task. He's the phone guy. But Pat Pat Murphy, I could see being on not good terms with the baseball gods. I'm trying to think of more. Uh, I hate to say it because I, I like listening to him so much, but maybe Brian Anderson. He's missed a lot of games um, calling-wise because he does NBA playoffs. He does golf now. I bet soon he's going to be doing football games. He's not in uh, doing games as often as he used to. Maybe this is one way the baseball gods are trying to punish him and his team. How about Hank the dog? Hank the dog. I fucking hate that dog. I hate that dog. 
you don't see him at the ball games anymore. I haven't been to the ball games. It's just what I've heard from people who go. They still I don't know if they still have that doghouse up in the outfield, but it always looks so lonely. It's away from the fans. Maybe the the baseball gods are taking this out on Yelich. You know, is Hank even at the games? If he's at the games and he's in his doghouse, he's not around people. He might develop some separation anxiety. Um, I don't know. But no, I don't. I don't hate dogs. I have a dog myself. But the reason why I hate Hank so much is what we got him in 2014, I think, is when he stumbled upon the Brewers spring training facility. A dog like that does not just stumble upon, you know, gorgeous baseball fields and and whatever city that they play baseball in. It, it just doesn't happen like that. You know, Hank should be a he should be a pit bull if he really came from the streets. When you look at Hank, Hank is not a street dog. He's he's a lap dog. Um, but we got him in like 2014, I think. And the reason why I hated it so much is is it was Hank wasn't really a lost dog. It was probably someone in um, one of the Brewers owners or some I don't know. They got a dog. They get a dog, right? It's a cute dog. Braun gets suspended. Looks bad on your club. They need to point fingers at something else. So what do they do? Smart move by them. They say that the Brewers rescue a cute dog because why could anybody be upset at the Brewers when they have a, a dog now? Um, but that's my little rant on Hank. But, yeah, maybe that's Hank could be the uh, reason why Yelch is, is getting it from the baseball gods. So this is what Eric Lauer had to say about Yelly. He said, it's fun to watch him be kind of in that zone again. Watch Yelly be Yelly. That's what everybody is used to seeing. That's what we expect out of him. I think there's more to come, says Eric Lauer. So if Yelich is fine and he gets out of this funk, so will the Brewers be. And, uh, man, if I'm a hitting coach, um, the Brewers got a new hitting coach. They got rid of Andy Haynes last year. And Haynes and Yelich, they went way, 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 way back in their career to uh, when he was in Miami. He was a hitting coach there. He's a part of the team. But, man, being a hitting coach, it's got to be one of the hardest jobs in baseball. And, I mean, when you're Yelich's hitting coach, you're you're pretty much asking to get fired, okay? He had a great season in 2018 and 2019. People will always compare him to that. And when he is not playing all-star caliber MVP-worthy baseball, a lot of people are going to be pointing fingers at you. I would not want to touch Christian Yelich if I was a hitting coach with a 10-foot pole, okay? So I know that might sound a little harsh, but uh, when you got that type of caliber level of a player and he's not hitting good, um, if the blame doesn't come from the hitting gods, I think it's going to always fall on the hitting coach and the manager. I mean, what's a good way to tell if something's a really hard job? The first thing I think of is burnout rate and hitting coaches. They're going to run out of town, uh, half of them every year. Um, they have to find a new job. It's crazy. Imagine if, I don't know what you could even compare this to. Ice road truckers, maybe? That might be another job that would be just as hard. Maybe you just do it for a year, get a lot of money, then run out of town. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, hitting coaches, they got a tough job because... I mean, you're always going to have some hitters that are making some really good contact with the baseball. For them, 
the baseball might look like look like a beach ball coming in there but every team they're always going to have a couple hitters that are really really struggling you know guys who are getting called up sent down um maybe mvp type players who are not hitting good or guys who have hit well in the past or maybe they're a veteran and they're trying to find something they always have something to do how do these guys get any sleep they they have to review swings they got to stay up to date with these pitchers who are adding deadly pitches to their repertoire like freddie peralta um just a couple years ago all he had was a fastball and maybe a curveball or change up every once in a while but it was pretty much just fastball for freddie and now he's got like three or four solid pitchers that could break and you got guys just like you darvish twirling the ball with ease making it look like they still use spider tack i mean how are hitting coaches supposed to keep their job for any more than a season when pitchers are pitching more dominant than they ever have with stuff wise and, and velocity so this made me think who is the longest tenured hitting coach so a hitting coach who's played on a team for the longest and um for managers you know you see managers stick with teams for a long time but hitting coaches go go with the wind right when teams are hitting well they're going to stay when they're struggling they get the they get the blame they're out of town and maybe Andy Haynes is kind of laughing from the background I'm not really sure I know he's on a major league team right now I off the top of my head I can't think but uh the Brewers offense um still kind of struggling this year even though we have been playing better baseball as a team the Brewers are ranked 22nd in the league in runs per games thus far in the season. So their rank at number 22 in the league puts them at 3.54 runs per game, which is pretty low. Um, but however, over the last three games, the Brewers have ad- averaged five runs per game. Um, obviously, um, you have to remember that the last three games we played the Pirates. We're not going to play the Pirates um, 362 games, but I think if if there was a stat held against the Pirates for runs scored against them, I think five runs wouldn't per game would be kind of in in the middle for them because I feel like they're gonna get smoked a lot of the times this year by us, by the Cardinals, by other teams in the National League. But um, yeah, so we're struggling with runs per game still. However. There is a silver lining. We played the Pirates. We're getting better. Um, but things might go a little south. We're playing the Cardinals, I believe, coming up next. Um, let me fact check that. Jamie, fact check. No, I was wrong. I was right I was right with the color. We're playing a red team. We're playing the Phillies. So we're 8-5 and five right now. The Phillies are 5-8, and eight, so they're a flip-flop record from us. But, I mean, their roster, they've added some some dudes, some bats. Um they got they got Kyle Schwarber, they got Nick Castellanos, and I feel like I'm missing one more big offseason addition, but they still got Bryce Harper, Juan, no, not Juan Soto, what am I thinking, but this is a deadly team, um, so we got to score some runs against them coming up here, but leaving runners in scoring position is one, one of the silver linings for the Brewers which is kind of odd because when I'm watching these baseball games, it feels like they're leaving a lot of runners on base, but maybe not so much in scoring position, um, which surprised me. So the Brewers are one of the best teams in baseball right now at, at 
um, not leaving runners in scoring position. Right now, they're ranked eighth in Major League Baseball. They only leave runners in scoring position about 3.15 times per game. But this begs the question, is the only reason why the Brewers are ranked this high? Are we even getting guys in scoring position? I feel like we are, but um, that's just one, one of my thoughts that maybe a little reason why we are ranked so high in this position. Um, another big offensive statistic that has been booming around baseball over the last couple of years is run differential. So the it's basically the do you score more runs than your opponents or less and how much. So the Brewers are ranked smack dab pretty much in the middle of the league. We're ranked 16, and that puts us at minus 3. So our, our opponents have scored three more runs on us this season. Um, so just to give you a little bit of insight in this stat, the Dodgers are ranked number one in the league in run differential. They are plus 32 runs on their opponents, plus 32. They've scored 32 more runs. The Reds are last with negative 37 runs. So their opponents have scored 37 more runs than them. So we're right in the middle of these two teams. So we're we're halfway between the Reds bad and the Dodgers good. So I'm not sure how you guys are going to feel about that, but that's the best way to put it. We're smack dab in the middle. Um, so there's a lot of room to grow, but with our pitching, pitching how it's been doing, there's a lot to uh, get excited about and look forward to. So the times are changing, right, as Bob Dylan would say. So let's just uh, go through this here. So the first time through the rotation was a tough one for all the Brewers. We had some rust on our on our shoulders or our throwing muscles. Um, pitchers could not pitch very well. So first time through the rotation, Burns, his first time on the mound. Five innings pitched, four strikeouts, three earned runs, and three walks, okay? The biggest thing that sticks out for me, um, not a lot of Ks, a lot of walks, three walks. Woody, first time through the rotation, three and uh, two-thirds innings pitched, two strikeouts, seven earned runs, and three walks. So we're walking a lot of runners, and, I mean, for Woody, you're not going to see Woody give up seven earned runs again this season, I think, so that's kind of an outlier, but um, pitching command, not very good, first time through. And in these games that Burns and Woody pitched, the Brewers went 0-2, okay? Second time through the rotation, Burns throws seven innings, eight strikeouts, zero earned runs, and one walk. Woody, second time through the rotation, five innings pitched, two strikeouts, zero earned runs, and one walk. The Brewers go 2-0 and in these starts, um, and the Brewers only give up three runs as a team in these games. And these were obviously charged by the bullpen. So, second time through, good stuff um, from both pitchers. They, they still both had one walk. Um, five innings is okay, but, I mean, um, you expect a little bit more from Woody. Third time through. So, this is this week's games against uh, the Pirates. Um, Burns, seven innings pitched, ten strikeouts, two earned runs, which was late in the ball game. Um, no walks. No walks. That's a big one for me. Woody, six innings pitched, nine strikeouts, zero earned runs, and two walks. Okay, so third time through the rotation, Burns and Woody, they finally go back-to-back -back and throw absolute gems of a game. This is what you expect from these types of players, and, and hopefully tomorrow 
um, Freddie Peralta could add on to this, and maybe we could get third time through the ro- rotation, third time's a charm. Maybe our first three guys have absolute gems of games. So hopefully Freddie could turn around tomorrow, but um, third time through the rotation, Burns and Woody. So the games we pitched, pitched them. We went 2-0 against the Pirates, and we're just doing some simple addition here. But Burns and Woody, they combined for 10 innings, pitched 19 strikeouts, and only two earned runs. So if we get that out of our aces this season, um, maybe the baseball gods will come in our favor a little bit. We don't really need huge offensive numbers if, if we get just two starters pitching back-to-back games like this. It doesn't matter if it's Burns and Woody or Woody and Freddie or anything from Hauser even or, or Lauer. Um, things are going to be looking up. But the biggest thing here, biggest thing, it's the first time this season that Woody and Burns have showed absolute pitching dominance in back-to-back games this season. So this is a big bright spot for the Brewers and something to look forward to. All right, so last big big thing I got to say uh, specifically about the Brewers' this podcast is Keston Hira. Keston Hira. So when he came into the league, um, let me pull up his stats here. 2019, he was uh, 22 years old, and on MLB The Show this season, oh man, you want to have Keston here 2019. He's a young player. He struck out 107 times that season in only 84 games, but he, he still, he batted 303 and got on base at a rate of uh, .368, which is pretty dang good. Um... We haven't seen these types of offensive numbers from Keston, and he's he was just a beast in coming up through minors in the AAA. I remember 2017 and 2018, just hearing the phenom um, of Keston here in the minors, and every every Brewer fan is was excited to see him make his debut. But since 2019, let's get these stats here. Hang on a second. It's loading. I got slow internet. But in 2020, the shortened season, he had 85 strikeouts. He led the majors in that category. Um, 2020, he batted 212. 2021, 168. And now, finally this year, he's batting a little better. Not much playing time to show for him, but he's batting 214, okay? 214. 214. But if you guys paid attention to spring training baseball... Um, I just usually listen to the ball games. I don't have time to sit down and watch nine innings of spring training baseball. Not a lot's going to happen. But one of the biggest storylines from the spring, if you were paying attention, is Keston Hira's hot start in spring. Okay, so this was big news. Keston, is he finally back? He's a dude who could, you know, hit for 303, hit for power, um, I always thought he's kind of a liability defensively, but I was kind of surprised. I think in 2019, he had 16 airs, which was a lot. That's when he still played second. Um, now he's not really playing much second base. He's usually at first. But he's only had three airs or something like that, I think, since then. Um, so I always thought Keston was a liability, but he's actually done much better. He's probably pretty average in that category. But back to Keston's hot spring. So in 33 plate appearances, um, Keston was hitting 
um, 393, slugging 929, and hit four dingers. Okay, about the hottest start you could you could get in 33 plate appearances. Okay, um, going into the season, you got Colton Wong at second, and you got Rowdy Telez at first. So it's going to be tough for him to get um, many at bats. But I mean, we got. Uh, the DH in the National League now, I'm kind of surprised we haven't seen a guy like Keston Hira get more ABs in that spot. I know we do have Andrew McCutcheon. McCutcheon's still pretty fast, though. He stole a bag a couple days ago. So I don't know if I've seen him in the outfield much this season, but I'd like to see him uh, maybe get a start in the outfield and see Keston get some more at-bats in the DH spot. Because thus far, um, this is before yesterday, okay? So this is before Keston's three-run blast. I got these stats. He before yesterday he was uh, 13 games in the season, only 17 play appearances, and he was hitting 218. He had three hits and three walks. So it's gotta be really difficult to stay sharp with such limited at bats, even if you had a hot spring. Okay, and I would love to do this if I got some lab rats and I could do this study and uh, I don't know, maybe have the rats play some type of game and have them go to Arizona play this game, they play really good at it, and then fly back to Milwaukee with these lab rats um, and play the same game at a higher difficulty because it's not spring training baseball and you're facing, you know, major league arms and have the rats play the same game. So is a hot start, does that correlate to a hot start to the season or would the lab rats perform poorly and would a hot spring not really matter once you get back to Milwaukee and Baltimore and, and you're facing major league arms every time so I if any scientists out there listening and you want to do a research study you just heard one you could um, give me some credit that'd be cool but it's got to be difficult to stay sharp with limited at bats um, his strikeout rate is down 4% from last year. That's not really much. It's just limited sample size, 4%. Doesn't really mean much to me. But one silver lining, um, Kesson's hard hit ball rate. Yesterday he hit that huge home run for us, gave us some insurance runs like I discussed before. But his hard hit rate, so this is the percentage of balls that were hit um, at 50 or 95 miles an hour or more, half of the balls he hits are over 95 miles an hour, like exit velo wise. So he's hitting the ball hard. And you always hear guys say, oh, hitting's the hardest thing to do in sports. You hear that all the time. And I believe it with guys throwing that hard. And like, I, I sucked at baseball. I, I couldn't hit pitches going 60 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour. So I couldn't imagine these guys at the major league level um, trying to do the same thing. But, I mean, hitting without getting reps has got to be a step up from that. That's got to be the hardest thing to do in sports. It makes hitting even more difficult. Hitting is already like trying to find the needle in a haystack. But when you're not getting consistent cuts and rips at uh, major league pitches, I mean, you could you could do simulated games all you want and hitting the cage and hit off a tee, but nothing, nothing will relate to um, having 30,000 eyeballs on you and you got a guy humping at 95 miles an hour with movement. The guy needs more at-bats. Um, hopefully yesterday's big day for Keston gives manager Craig Council some more um, trust in him. I hope to see him hopefully pinch hitting a little bit this next series. Or not pinch hitting, DHing hopefully. Less pinch hitting is what I'm trying to say. But... Is pinch hitting the hardest thing to do in sports? 
pinch hitting. You're on the bench the whole game. Manager calls your number. You gotta hustle. You gotta grab grab your helmet, grab your gloves. You gotta kick the rust off in a matter of minutes and face major league pitching. So what I'm trying to say here is Keston's hot start. I don't want to see this go to a waste. I want to see him get some at-bats. I want to see him hit some dingers. And that's all we got for Brewers Talk. Um, Just looking forward to the series. I think the Phillies are going to be a much better team than last year. And and you always see the Phillies make some big moves in the offseason. But last year they didn't really pay out. Um, Let's look up their roster here. They got some guys, I know. Okay, I got got their roster up here. They got some names, okay? They got some guys. You want to have a guy off here? Nick Castellanos, Kyle Schwarber, Bryce Harper, Alec Baum. He was in the news last week. He He's uh, third baseman for the Phillies. Didn't talk about it in last week's show because I didn't think it was big enough news. But Alec Baum, he had a tough, tough game. Um, in front of his home crowd at third base, had a couple of throwing errors. And later in the game, after he's had all these errors, um, Alec Baum, he gets a hot mic situation. He he throws a batter out um, on a ground ball finally, and, and the crowd starts like uh, cheering him on, like, good job, you finally did your job. Sarcastic cheers, you know. The guy already had three errors the game, and you caught him mouth to the crowd, like, I fucking hate this place. <laughs> And when he was asked after the game about it, um, he said, yeah, I, I said that the emotions got the best of me. You know, he he I think it would have been things would have gone much worse for Alec Baum if he would have denied um, what he was accused of saying, because even on TV, you could read lips pretty well. He said, I fucking hate this place. And Philly fans know that. And uh, he admitted he said it. And Philly fans um, rallied around him. Um, because he took ownership in what he said, and he, he got a standing ovation in his next A-B. So that was last week, but I'm just looking at these names. Um, still, Corey Knable. <laughs> you know that guy, right? Reese Hoskins, Zach Wheeler. Um, <laughs> Jesus Familia, big steroid guy. JT Riomuto. Um, so this is, a, this is a solid team, so... Um, Maybe a team that will play in October a little bit. Um, Gene Segura is Drupal Herrera. Got some guys. So I'm looking forward to this series. Um, going to make a little prediction here. I think it's a three-game series. I'm just going to guess it's a three-game series. Bold prediction here. Brewers, two sweeps in a row, okay? We're going to smoke them. That's going to be always my prediction. I'd say that this prediction is probably... 70% chance of happening, but I'm always going to predict the Brewers to win every game, so just get used to that as well. Brewers in six, right? Bucks in six. Um, are there any other sports going on right now that I care about? NBA playoffs. Last year, the Bucks won it all, right? A um, bunch of my buddies went down to the Deer Districts. I, I didn't get a chance to go. I might go this year. Look like a good time. Looks like a good time if you're drinking. Okay, people say all the time, like, oh, you don't you don't need to drink to have fun. Well, it sure helps, doesn't it? Especially, I don't give a fuck about the Bucks. okay? Even when they're playing really good basketball. So, um, NBA talk, let's talk some NBA. There's NBA playoffs going on, okay? That's it, done. And 
man, people go hard, hardcore about their football, you know, listening to sports radio just when I'm driving around town. Um, for the past, I don't know, three weeks, sports radio, they're just talking about, oh, who do you think the Packers are going to draft in the seventh round? I don't even know if there's a seventh round. I think there's just six rounds in the NFL. But, man, I'm getting sick of it. I might talk, I might bring it up when it happens, but don't expect much from me um, when football's not in season and never expect anything from me unless something crazy happens in the NBA um, because I'm probably not going to talk about it. But um, just off the top of my head, there's been a lot of protests at NBA games, so I'm not really sure what the protests are about, but you you had Glue Girl, so some... Some crazy bitch uh, glued her hand to the court at, I think it was the Minnesota Minnesota Timberwolves game. Um, that was in Memphis. Um, and then the second game of that series, another crazy bitch. She chained herself to the back of the basketball hoop. So um, that's my basketball talk. Um, let's talk some more baseball, okay? Okay, Fernando Tatis Jr., Fernando Tatis Jr., he's he's hurt to start the year. Um, when he was asked about his injury in the offseason, he admitted that it was due to a motorcycle accident. But when he was asked about it later by the media, he responded with, which one? Which motorcycle accident? So Tatis is a guy who likes to have fun on the baseball diamond, but perhaps um, the more bigger story here is the fun that he likes to have off the diamond. So in the offseason, he's seen doing cliff jumps and cliff diving and stuff like that. And I've done that in the past. I've done that like once or twice. But, uh, but man, Tatis Jr., his mom must be just freaking the fuck out because I could not imagine. My mom's got it imprinted in the back of my mind that if I jump off of a cliff or jump off of anything high into any body of water, that no matter how deep the water is, there'll be somehow a big boulder will just appear there i'm gonna jump on it then i'm gonna become paralyzed so i that's something i don't do but um tatis jr does like to have fun in the off season and if i was the padres owner your star player um getting hurt in non-baseball situations things that are pretty much avoidable if you just have any respect for your body and and for your team I mean, when I ran track in high school, I would not play, like, the game before, um, if I had a base, a softball game before a meet, big meet, I'd sit out that game. I didn't want to get hurt. I want to run. I want to do my job. But uh, Tatis, Fernando Tatis Jr., he's still recovering from this motorcycle accident that I believe it hurt his forearm or something like that. Um, I saw this on, I don't know, Instagram, Twitter, one of the two. But Tatis, before the game, you see guys maybe throw a football around a little bit just for fun, you know, just guys being dudes. But Tatis Jr., he must be a big soccer guy, big FIFA guy. He's uh, kicking around a soccer ball. He's not just, you know, kicking around playing. I don't know what you call You don't play catch in soccer. You probably play, I don't know what you call it. Maybe they play kick. He's playing kick with one of his teammates, but he's trying to do, like, these crazy ball handling moves and, and uh, look like Cristiano Ronaldo. And you see him just totally whiff over the ball, the soccer ball, and fall. And luckily, he catches himself. But but for a guy who's already hurt, 
and you're playing, you're trying to be Cristiano Ronaldo before a game when you're hurt. Um, you're suffering from a non-related baseball injury already. If I was a Padres fan, I'd be pissed. Um, you're paying this guy a fortune, and he's he's a liability off the field. I mean, you got to handcuff a guy to him. You need This guy needs a bathroom buddy at all times. <laughs> this guy cannot be trusted in the offseason, and he can't even be trusted when he's on a major league field before the game just playing kick with somebody. He needs a buddy. Um, he needs to be handcuffed to someone, um, swallow the key, so you got to stick with him all day, something like that. I don't know. I don't know. Whoever's a Padres manager or owner, you got to think something outside the box like that because I might have just saved you um, three more years, productive years, from T- Fernando Tatis if you get him a, uh, a bathroom buddy. All right, let's Garrett Cole, if you missed it. Garrett Cole got absolutely just destroyed in his last start. I think he pitched maybe an inning, maybe an inning. He got that monster contract from the Yankees. Um, So these are just some stats, okay? So before June 3rd, 2021, he had 23 starts. His ERA was 2.32, okay? His strikeout per nine, 12. Just outstanding numbers. His whip, 0.9, okay? So that's before June 3rd, 2021. This is since last June, since last June. And if you remember, what was the big, big news early in the summer? The spider tack, right? Garrett Cole was um, one of the spider tack guys, one of the big faces of spider tack. Um, Not sure if he ever got caught using it, but I just remember hearing that on the radio a lot. So since spider tack was banned, June 3rd, I don't know if that's the exact date, but these stats are since June 3rd. He's had the same amount of starts, 22, just about the same amount of starts. His ERA was up to 4.35. His strikeout per nine dipped a little bit, 11.6. His walk per nine, though, before June 3rd was um, 1.6. It's nearly doubled since then. It's at three right now. And his whip increased from um, 0.9 to 1.22. Garrett Cole is a guy who I don't have any sympathy for. I don't like the Yankees. Um, I think it's not fair the amount of money that they have. And it's just kind of humorous how how you could pretty much get any player that you want in the offseason, and yet they're still struggling. They're off to a slow start this season after adding um, Josh Donaldson, re-signing Anthony Rizzo. And Rizzo, I feel bad for Rizzo. Rizzo, yeah, he's played really good for the Yankees, but he just seems so sad and lonely. Every time I see a highlight of him, it's like it's like he's being a sad boy out there in New York. It's like you're playing well, but... You miss your guys. He probably misses Chicago and being around, being around the fans who really loved him there. He um, he grew up in that organization. Yankees fans are probably a bit bit different than what he's used to. But sad boy Rizzo, he's playing well over there. But Garrett Cole, back to Garrett Cole. He's not pitching well. It's awesome. It's awesome for baseball um, when you got. Top end guys getting paid by from the Yankees for boatloads of money who can't who can't perform on the hill and Garrett Cole is a pussy. Okay, so I should have talked this in my about this in my first episode, but on opening day, 
Um, you know, they always have those festivities before the game. They might do the flyover. They got a couple of first pitches to do. And the festivities before the game um, delayed his first pitch for a matter of minutes. And he's seen in the dugout just throwing a hissy fit about it. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> just hilarious. So the Yankees are paying Garrett Cole the amount of money where he should be performing at a top three level for starting pitchers in the major leagues, okay? So his ERA plus right now is 12th since the start of the 2020 season among MLB ranks. Strikeouts per nine, very good. He's third. And his opponent OPS is 17th in the league. So the Yankees are paying this guy to be one of the best players in baseball, but he is vastly underperforming, and it is awesome. I love it. I can't get enough of it. I can't stop watching. I love it. Okay, more news from around the league. We got 3,000 hits. Pretty crazy accomplishment. Crazy accomplishment. So, if you don't know, Miguel Cabrera, as I record this podcast, he is one hit away from his 3,000th hit. He's playing the Yankees tonight at home. Um, Even some... Anthony Rizzo, he was asked if he wants to see history tonight, and he pretty much said, yeah, I do want to see history tonight if it doesn't hurt us. And Aaron Boone was asked the same question, and he pretty much had the same response. So I hope Miguel Cabrera hits a walk-off grand slam off of them for their final hit because fuck the Yankees, right? But just players to hit 3,000 hits, it's incredibly hard to do. In the 1990s, there were a bunch of players who got their 3,000th hits. So we had Robin Yount, George Brett, Dave Winfield, Eddie Murray, Paul Molitor, Tony Gwynn, and Wade Boggs. Huge names. 2000s, we had Cal Ripken Jr., Ricky Henderson, Rafael um, Perrero, Palmero, Palmero, there it is, and Craig Biggio. In the 2010s, we had Derek Jeter, Adrian Beltre, Alex Rodriguez, Ichiro, and Albert. Okay, so we got a bunch of guys, a bunch of guys. And 3,000 hits, it's incredibly hard to do. There's a lot of Hall of Famers who haven't even done it. If you get 3,000 hits, you're a sure thing in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. Um, But Miguel Cabrera, really, really close. And let's just look at some active players um, and where they stand in hits. So Albert Pujols, obviously, he already got his 3,000th hit. He's age, he's 42 years old. It's crazy. Dude's 308 um, hits over the 3,000 hit mark. Okay, Miguel Cabrera, he's next on the list. He's probably going to break it this weekend sometime, hopefully. Um, But after that, so Miguel Cabrera, you heard it here first, got his 3,000th hit tonight. Um, The crowd goes crazy. But after Miggy, the list kind of gets narrow among active players and their... um, closeness to approaching this huge mark so the next closest guy I did not know this guy was this old Robinson Cano he's 39 years old he's about 350 hits shy or 450 my bad hits shy of this mark um you know I don't think this guy's gonna get enough ABs to uh even get Within, 
striking range. Even with a driver, I don't think he could drive one that far. Seven iron, no chance. I'd say right now, Robinson Cano is, if this was golf, he is 500 feet away from getting 3,000 hits, and it's a par two. He has no chance. No chance. Unless he's like uh, Happy Gilmore. But after Robbie Cano, it gets even more unlikely. Yadier Molina, he's at 2,144 hits. He's 39. Next after Molina, Joey Votto. He's at 2,032. He's 38. He had one of his best seasons last year. But to expect those types of numbers, um, he had a big power year last year. But to expect the consistent hitting, it's just not going to happen. Um, Nelson Cruz is next. He's at 1,922 hits, and he's 41. Elvis Andrus, 1,874. He's 33, so he's got a chance. And McCutcheon, the Brewer, 1,837. He's 35. So I'd say most of these guys, they are on obviously on the back end of their career. Um, you know, guys like Vado, Molina, Cano. You're going to be lucky to get three more solid years out of all of them. And solid years, I'm saying just 150 hits. That's pretty good, but you're not going to get close to hitting this mark um, with those numbers. You need to play for much longer. But, yeah, I'd say a lot of these guys are sure bet Hall of Famers like Molina. But I don't think he's going to get close to getting 3,000 hits. So this is a huge accomplishment for Miggy. And who's going to be the next guy to do it? I mean, I look at this list. It's not going to be any of these guys. These guys got no chance. Um, first guys that come to mind, Mike Trout. Mike Trout, the the LeBron James of baseball who gets no shine because he plays on the West Coast. He's age 30, and he's less than halfway there. He's at... Um, 1,400 hits. Machado, she's 29. He's got um, 1,444. Um, and the villain, the villain, the uh, vibrator wearer to uh, cheat in baseball, right? Jose Altuve, age 32, 1,700 hits. He's approaching... Uh, 1800 he should do that this season um but yeah not we're probably not going to see 3,000 hits for I don't know 10 more years we had a bunch of guys do it we might not have any more guys do this accomplishment this decade so um we should baseball fans should celebrate this um huge accomplishment for Miggy it's great for the game he's a all-timer so, shout out, Miggy. All right, holy balls. <laughs> Check these stats, okay? So, you you hear a lot from guys at peaks. Um, I talked last show. I don't think anyone has a better peak, peak seasons than Barry Bonds. He was unreal for 15 years. Pretty crazy to do. But Miguel Cabrera, 13-year peaks. This is from 2004 to 2016. Miguel Cabrera... In 13 years, he batted um, 323. 323. His on base percentage, um, 402. 402. 
crazy. His slugging, uh, 5.66. But man, Miggy, all timer, all timer. And these stats, by the way, I'm getting them from MLB Network. So don't sue me, MLB Network. Shout out, you guys. This is from MLB Tonight. All right, so that's all the the big big news from baseball. So you're all caught up. So let's do a new segment here. This is call them up and send them down. So we know in the majors. Um, guys bounce around between triple A and double A so they either get called up or they get sent down so I'm going to do some calling up and sending down on my own okay right now breaking news I am calling up shorts from the minor leagues shorts are back the weather's looking better all across Wisconsin here in Eau Claire it was beautiful 55 today this weekend's supposed to be in the 70s I'm calling shorts they're back pasty legs are back um I wore shorts to class today. It was a little bit brisk. Um, I kind of felt like a fool. My legs were shivering, very cold, um, goosebumps all over the place. But once I got on campus, I was happy to see other bros like me wearing shorts. So shorts are back, and um, you could probably predict this. But calling up shorts, I'm sending pants down to the minors. Pants are getting the um, – they're going to the minors. AAA, we don't need them anymore. So we're making a flurry of roster moves today. I'm also calling up puddles. Puddles are back. Watch out on your on your walk when you're walking your dog. Watch out for these puddles. If you're walking to campus, maybe you're a college kid like me, watch out for the puddles. If you're going on a quick trip and you're getting out of your car and there's a slight um, incline from in the parking lot, watch out for these puddles, especially if you're like me and you wear Crocs with socks. Um, nothing's worse than walking around with... with um, with wet socks, you want to watch out for these puddles. And they could be really deceiving. They could be really deceivingly deep. So I know when I go on my runs and I see the sidewalk is all water, all water, I try to make the split decision, the athlete in me, to choose which side I want to attack, which side I think is going to be more shallow. So puddles are back. So if you're wearing Crocs, beware. You heard it. You heard it here first. I'm calling down Oakland A's baseball. I'm calling them down. Puddles up, Oakland A's down. Going to the minors. So last year I went to a Twins game just because they're closer to um, than Milwaukee to me. Not a Twins fan, but they were playing the Oakland A's, and I love Moneyball, so I I kind of like the A's. I I like seeing them play good. I love their colors, good unis, but. They cleaned house last year. They had a really good team to start the year, then it all kind of fell apart. So kind of like Chicago last year where the team was contending at the beginning, kind of. The A's at least were. They were one of the best teams in baseball. Clean house. You don't really know many guys on the team anymore. And, uh, yeah, they had like 3,000 people at their at the Oakland Coliseum a couple days ago. And 3,000 people at a Marlins game might not have made this list, but the Oakland Coliseum is its a gigantic stadium. And when you have 3,000 fans in there, it's its like having ants there. You don't even see the, the fans. It's just crazy. And the seats are already painted green. So if the fans, if the 3,000 fans there are all wearing green, they're camouflaged in. You can't see any of them. And playing for the A's right now just must be so sad. So sad. Nobody there to watch. I know even when the Brewers are were terrible in 2014 and 15, 
13 even too. I remember going to games. I don't think maybe day afternoon games not having this amount of fans, having 3,000 fans at Miller Park, but tough for the A's, so they're being sent down to the minors. I am calling up Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar has been sent to the majors, okay? So if you saw this, Kendrick Lamar, he uh, went to a Dodgers game, and usually when celebrities go to games, you know, they get box seats away from the fans. Um, I saw Aaron Rodgers at the Bucks game last night. He was sitting courtside with Randall Cobb. Got a big shout-out from the crowd, heard some go Packos. But Kendrick Lamar, he's he's getting called up. So he did not sit in the box seat. He did not sit, you know, right behind home plate like like uh, like Aaron Rodgers. He, I don't know where he was sitting, but he was just sitting as a regular fan. He was sitting maybe first deck, second deck. I would even more respect if he was sitting in the nosebleeds. Imagine going to a major league baseball game and I know it is LA so it's a little bit different you don't know who you're going to be sitting next to but just to sit down and if you know pop culture and know rap music you'd recognize Kendrick Lamar it'd be pretty cool I don't know if I'd recognize him I'd probably need a buddy to um, be like hey that kind of looks like Kendrick Lamar because I used to listen to rap and I listened to Kendrick I don't know five years ago I don't listen to any any of his new stuff, but shout out Kendrick Lamar for, for being a dude and, and take, he probably took a thousand selfies with fans and I'm sure five minutes into the game, he regret, uh, not upgrading his tickets last minute, but Kendrick Lamar is getting the call up. I am sending, um, coffee flavored ice cream down to the miners. So I love coffee. I love ice cream, but I went to my girlfriend's favorite ice cream shop. Not my favorite, her favorite. And I told her, I want something, since we have, we have a dog, we took her dog to doggy daycare. Um, we can't bring the dog inside ice cream places. Um, so she went inside and I just told her, Alicia, get me something chocolatey, something cookie doughy, brownie. I, I just want to indulge myself in, in calories. Um, she comes back, she gets me, she knows I love coffee. Really good ice cream. It was like fudge coffee flavored ice cream. And this is at like 8 o'clock at night. And I drink a lot of caffeine. A lot of caffeine. Way too much caffeine. I'm doing better now. Last year, I'd probably drink six cups of coffee a day. Right now, I'm probably at two or three, maybe four on big days. But I could not sleep the whole night. I don't know how much caffeine was it. Maybe I'm just a pussy. But I could not sleep. So coffee flavored ice cream. Getting the bump to the miners. I am calling up weird baseball rules, weird baseball rules, going to the majors. I love it. So if you missed it a couple days ago, there was a pitcher, not sure what team it was, not sure his name, not a very well-known pitcher, but he got called for a balk because apparently this is a rule that when you're on the pitching rubber, you cannot lick your fingers. So I know guys, I know I did it a little bit when I played. They might lick their finger a little bit to get some more um, stick, some more feel for the ball, especially when it's um, a little chilly out like it is in April. You see you guys do this all the time. But you can't do it when you're on the pitching rubber. And this was something that I learned too. So I, I found the explanation. So uh, with no runners on base, it's a ball. And with three balls, it made it ball four. So technically, 
the rule says you cannot lick your hand while standing on the mound. So with no runners on base and you lick uh, your hand when you're on the rubber, it's an automatic ball, okay? But with three balls, it made it ball four. So it was a walk, not a balk, correction. I've never heard this before, never seen it before. You learn something new every day. I'm calling up weird baseball rules, and I'm going to send down. I'm sending down people at the gym, people at the gym. If you go to the gym, I'm not sending you down. I'm sending the assholes down who hang out in the men's locker room and just flex nonstop into the mirrors. Um, and take selfies, okay? Those assholes are getting sent down. So I I go back and forth with my weightlifting and running, but I always try to do one or the other. And lately I've been on a weightlifting hump and uh, it's been tough getting back into it because I'm doing a fraction of the weight I used to. But uh, yeah, I go in the gym, go in the locker room, and you just see these assholes just like no sense of embarrassment at all i mean just flexing nonstop. i mean if i did that i'd be so embarrassed like i i don't even take selfies in public on snapchat i just do forehead shit the amount of courage that takes um and confidence good for you but you're an asshole okay nobody fucking cares uh how you look you're probably just gonna be a weirdo and send that to some chick who who's been trying to leave you on open and get rid of you and you're just trying to flex on all the haters so i'm sending down creepy guys at the gym all right and that's a wrap on that segment so i'll probably do um call them up and call them down every um thursday or friday show um but yeah that's that so if you listen this deep in the podcast thank you you're in for a treat so i I wanted to call this segment I was thinking of just naming hypotheticals and on my drive home from the group home I thought of a cooler name. So this podcast segment is going to be called Vix Picks. Vix Picks. So if you guys know Michael Vick, you know what he's famous for. So this segment is where we are going to discuss hypothetical animal fights, okay? And boy do we have a good one for you here today. And I will put a poll on Twitter tomorrow so you guys could select who you think would win this. So, this is all hypothetical. I'm going to explain where they're going to be fighting. They're going to be fighting in an octagon today. They're going to be fighting in um, what's the big casino that they always, the big boxers play in for uh, MGM. They're going to be bo- or in the octagon there. In the octagon, Joe Rogan's going to be on the call. Um, so, <clears throat> the challenger, in the red corner, weighing in at 1.3 pounds, fighting from college campuses all over Eastern America, Northeastern America, clocking in at a top maximum running speed of 20 miles an hour. They are small, they are cute, they have rabies, and they are an invasive species in the state of Washington. Um, it is the deadly Eastern go- Gray Squirrel, okay? Eastern gray squirrel, squirrel, blah. There's going to be 10 of them. 10 squirrels versus in the blue corner. The challenger. Or the challenge, challenge G? The other one? I don't know. 
measuring at a height of two and a half feet and weighing in at 120 pounds, clocking in with a top running speed of 45 miles an hour. They are mean. They are scary. Their head is shaped like a pumpkin. It is the mountain lion. Okay, so you got 10 gray squirrels versus one mountain lion, okay? Um, just a disclaimer, these gray squirrels, they are hungry because the garbage men, they've been on top of their game. They have uh, picked up garbage every day for a whole week. So that they're living, living on nuts, no garbage. And you know, college campuses, there's always squirrels running around and they don't give a fuck about people. Um, so they have a strong personality. They're not afraid to fight and they're feisty. Okay, and there's 10 of them. 10. <coughs> there's only one mountain lion or cougar, whatever you want to call it. Um, and there's mountain lions. There's not ever that many mountain lion attacks. I think you're more likely to be struck by lightning than to be attacked by a mountain lion. And uh, just a disclaimer on this one single mountain lion. It is an adolescent um, mountain lion. He is just starting out as independent life. He's still been living at home with mom and dad. So he's not financially independent yet. Okay. Um, and, and he was raised by pacifist parents. Okay. So... He was raised in a family where fighting and violence was looked down upon. Looked down upon. Even though he's a mountain lion, he grew up his whole life thinking fighting is a bad thing. And now he's thrown into the octagon, okay? And his favorite movie is Cars 2. Ooh, Cars 2. Not a good movie. How do you trust a guy whose favorite movie is Cars 2? So that's the scene. That's the fight. Who do you think would win? I'm taking the gray squirrels. Just because there's 10 of them. And I think they're more feisty. Um, you know, in football, they always say low man wins. Obviously, they're a lot smaller than the cougar. Um, also, I think the cougar is kind of a pussy. Um, yeah, I think if it was... A different mountain lion maybe he'd uh put out a bigger fight but cars 2 being his favorite movie i would i would not put my if i was a betting man i would not put my money on this guy uh but yeah that's who i'm picking um you could go vote on twitter we'll talk about the results i will record my next podcast on tuesday but until then you guys have a good weekend um, thanks for tuning in. Deuces.